<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You got you to gotta realize that this administration has been thrown a bunch of stuff in their, their first year. I mean, I do not remember anything in my lifetime with with all of the the um, hurdles and, and opposition that, that has happened and could, could people have done a better job everybody could have done a better job and so I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and, and throw stones at the glass house Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. And with us today is Alderman Michael Scott, Jr., Chairman of the City Council's Education Committee. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Fran. You're welcome. You are a former Park District Manager. Your dad, Michael Scott, was a political powerhouse in Chicago who I knew very well. Former Mayor Richard M. Daley made him the go-to guy. He was park board president, school board president, campaign manager. He marshaled the African-American vote for Daley. He was a former special events director. What was it like growing up as Michael Scott's son? Uh, it was um, the gift and the curse, if you will. Uh, it was really great to see my father uh, being such a figure in Chicago politics and, and having his hand in so many things like the Taste of Chicago, the Blues Fest, the Jazz Fest, uh, the parks, the schools. Uh, it, it, it makes a, a young boy proud. However, you know, those are lofty shoes to, to have to grow up in. And sometimes you trip in, in those big shoes. But uh, I think he laid a great foundation for me and my sister uh, in, in our public service and the things that we do. And again, you cannot beat the Taste of Chicago's in the 80s. I actually have a picture uh, in my office of, you know, the, the Taste of Chicago used to have the, the three on three. Uh, and I was able to, to sit courtside and, and actually have a game with uh, Patrick Ewan and Dominique Wilkins and James Worthy and Michael Jordan was on the side. And so that that's one of the, the highlights as a young person uh, being being with my father and the things that he did. I assume you lost. I did. I, I didn't hit either shot. Uh, Michael Jordan ridiculed me until he realized that I had on um, Air Jordans and being the uh, the capitalist that he is, he said, hey, he has on Jordans, maybe he can play, but I was not very skilled at that time. What lessons did you learn from your dad that you take with you in, so, as alderman? Well, one thing that I, I think it, that he was a master at and I, I continue to, to, to try to learn uh, every day is to listen and to hear what um, people are trying to say. You don't always have the answers, uh, but you can listen and hear and, and get what they're trying to convey to you, even if you can't help them. I, 
I remember often watching the, the school board uh, meetings and um, th- there's one in particular where there was a young lady who would come all the time. And this time she had on a Grim Reaper's hood and one of those long, um, uh, whatever the Grim Reaper carries. She had one of those, uh, the scaffold, whatever she had with, with her. And she was telling my father how he was killing babies and he was doing so much in the African-American community. He looked and he listened and he talked and he then he went back with a thoughtful, um, pragmatic answer to her questions and said, hey, we, you know, I might not get everything you want, but we'll be able to help you. And, and when she left, she actually praised my father um, for him, one, listening to, to what, what she wanted to hear, um, but two, being a, a leader um, in the field. And so I, I always attempt to listen, uh, even if I don't have the right answers, just, just get people like to get things off of their chest. And I, I you know, will listen to a fault sometimes. He was the guy who brought all the disparate groups together whenever there was difficulty. He was the guy who facilitated. Indeed, he was. He was. Um, that is a, that is another uh, characteristic that that I attempt to emulate. I, I try not to make enemies. I, you're not going to do everything that everybody wants, um, but to be kind to people, and and that's what I hear when when walking through city halls. It makes me most proud. Is there isn't a, a person that I talk to that has a, um, a bad word about him and, and the work that he did because uh, he was a, um, a gentleman's gentleman, if you will, and, and tried to go out of his way to make sure that everybody felt comfortable around him. And that's how he brought groups together because he was so comfortable around so many people from so many different circles. Your mom was the ward superintendent. Your grandma was part of the 70s movement to improve education that prompted Richard J. Daly to build Collins High School. What do you remember about those and what, what lessons did you learn there? Well, my mom was a, uh, was a very hard worker. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that I take her work, work ethic um, growing up. And she was also at the district superintendent. So I remember growing up in, in the winter and it would be snowing and, and looking for my mom two, three in the morning. <laughs> um, she's out, she's out making sure that the, the streets are clean and, um, you know, always making sure that one home was taken care of, but two, um, making sure she was professional, professional in her job and making sure that she worked hard and, um, always appreciate those lessons. And my, my grandmother was the matriarch of our, our, uh, service in this community. And she always taught my father as well as my sister and I about public service and how important it is to be a part of the solution in your community and not a part of the problem. And, and she is the reason um, we all serve. Uh, she was the, the one who got us the, the bug to serve. You tell a funny story once about having met the late Alderman Bill Henry, who was indicted <laughs> but died before being convicted. Why don't you tell our audience that story? So I was um, probably nine years old and um, my mother was just given the job as ward superintendent and I, I came to her, her congratulatory celebration and <laughs> I'm sitting in the, in the war yard and she's showing me around and, uh, she introduces me to, to the alderman and says, this is my son. And, oh, Hey, uh, Michael Jr. You know, your father does so many things. What, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, well, what, what do you do? What, what does an alderman do? And he says, well, you know, I attempt to bring businesses to the board and uh, we make sure we get the lights and stuff going on when people are, 
don't have lights and the garbage picked up and you know we, we we're just community servants and I said well you know when I grow up I want your job and so <laughs> have it um years wow. later what did he say what did he say <laughs> Uh, he, 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 he told me to, to, that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to be done anytime soon. So I'd have to wait till I got to, to college and, and, and got back home. <laughs> um, just, you know, being, be, being very jovial uh, about the situation, but, um, you know, I, I guess that was a spark to my political career. <laughs> well, you had some guts too, then it, it runs in the family. <laughs> Let's talk about the looting and mayhem that occurred almost two weeks ago, one of the most destructive and gut-wrenching periods really in Chicago history. Take us through those days and nights. What did you do as an alderman? When did you learn how bad things were? What kind of damage is there in North Lawndale and South Austin and West Garfield? And how long will it take to come back? I know that's a lot of questions, but take us through the, the days and nights first. So um, I'll start that Saturday um, there. You know, we, I'm, I, I have a uh, blended family and, and my daughter lives um, with her mom half the time and with me half the time. And and uh, Saturday afternoon, I was on my way to pick her up and she lives in, in High Park. Her mom stays in High Park. And while driving, there were every exit from 30, I think it was 31st. Uh, all the way uh, until about 57th was blocked off. And I'm, I'm, I know that there were protesting going on, but I knew the protesting was downtown. And so I couldn't understand kind of what was going on, picked her up um, and immediately got back and started making phone calls. Um, you know, on my second round of calls, I got a call from Alderman Talaferro, uh, who had just been briefed from the mayor that there was um, looting occurring in, in downtown and, and, uh, that they were going to dispatch police to the, the situation. And he asked me to call uh, several aldermen on the west side of Chicago. And so I, I called my colleagues and we began to talk. And, you know, our sentiment was it, it is really devastating to have downtown loss. But, um, you know, what would be even more devastating is if they came into the ward. And so our hopes and our, our prayers were that things would be contained downtown and, and there would be one day of protesting small looting. Uh, but as, as you turn on the television and you see the mayhem and, and how it lasted so long and uh, the, the disrespect for the officers and, and um, you know, un, under circumstances that, that, that are completely understandable because of, of the disrespect that officers have, have conveyed upon communities of color for years and years and years, you kind of see it and as an alderman and as a, and as a black man, I, I grapple with kind of what I'm seeing, the images that I'm seeing of, of the city being torn apart. Um, but the reality is, is that there is a need for uh, change in, in the way that our police department is structured. It, it, it just kind of put, put me at, at odds within myself um, and, and watched all night um, with bated breath, just, just hoping that um, cooler heads would prevail and, and that the, the, the protests would be peaceful um, and, and they would get their message through, through peace. Um, and was a little bit at, at, at ease, didn't sleep very well that night. Um, and, and Sunday, uh, woke up and, and had a, a, a meeting with the mayor on the telephone and she's kind of telling us what went on and 
Um, Brendan Riley explained how his community, his community in the business district was destroyed. Um, Tony talked about a little bit of his and, and Dow had a, a bit in the South Loop and uh, Walter had uh, his challenges in his West Loop area. And uh, which was talking about strategy and, and how um, the National Guard was called out and, and, and hopefully we, we, we get this under control. Sunday afternoon uh, is, is kind of when things fell apart in the neighborhoods, especially for me. I, I can't talk about other neighborhoods. Um, what I will say is, you know, my, my wife, because of everything was, that was going on, was really, um, really didn't want me to go outside and, and, and figure out what was going on. And I, I'm, I'm a nervous Nelly biting my fingernails and looking on Facebook and, and calling my commanders. And about one o'clock, my commander stopped answering because there was something happening really, really large on um, in, in Alderman Irvin's ward on um, Pulaski and Springfield, I think it was. And uh, most of my my men from 11 were, were there attempting to um, push back the, the folks who were the peaceful, peaceful protest turned to looting again. And and. So I, I, I'm I'm really worried now, and so I, I dispatched folks from our organization to kind of drive around the works. And my wife would just would not let me out of the house. She was just really um, afraid for for things that were going going on for me. And so I'm I'm on the phone and I'm, I'm talking, and and then I see people in my in my alley running with with items. And I I knew then that uh, the mall that was close to me, that's on Roosevelt in Sacramento. I'm sorry, Roosevelt and and Kedzie, uh, was looted, and I had been listening to the scanners, and I, I was, I heard the police say, "Hey, we're outnumbered. We can't stop them. We, we, you know, we can't uh, stop it from happening." I'm calling my commanders; they're not getting back to me. And so when I finally talked to them, you know, a couple hours later, they were still out there. They had gotten Pulaski under control. My mall had had gone down, and and they had moved down the, the block on Roosevelt. And by, by then, the numbers were were so large that you know police were, were at a disadvantage and, and would probably hurt themselves if, if they were getting out. And, and it's just a really hopeless feeling or uh, when you can't do anything and uh, you, you know what's going on and you want to be able to stop, but there's nothing that you can do. And there was nothing at that time that, that the officers could do. And um, th that was Saturday. Um, and, and then things ha start happening in my ward where there was a, a brown and, and black rub, a, a racial rub. You know, I, I'm on the, the border of um, North and South Lawndale. North Lawndale is African-American. South Lawndale is Latinx. And th there was a bit of a rub. Uh, and so we went into to the mode of, of repairing that relationship and um, making sure that, that violence didn't occur between black and brown communities. Uh, I, I have to really give a, a kudos to uh, my colleague, Alderman Mike Rodriguez, who worked hand in hand with me, with people in his community. And, and I worked with folks in my community, uh, both Congressman Davis and Congressman Garcia uh, came to the table to make sure that it didn't happen. Uh, and then a, a bevy of, of elected officials, uh, brown and black, on the west side in both the Latinx and, and, and African-American communities all stood up and stepped up and made sure that uh, that didn't happen to the magnitude that we were thinking was going to happen. Um, that happened, you know, Monday and Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, things start to calm down. And, and then we started to get into 
to the protection mode of making sure that, you know, if there were peaceful protests, that they did not turn into to looting and, ri- and, and looting. I don't want to say rioting because it wasn't a riot, looting. Um, and, and, and then that kind of grappled into this weekend, which was relatively a, a um, quiet weekend. We had a community cleanup this weekend where um, we had over a thousand people come out and help us clean our communities and, and put up a, a, a boards and clean stores and and uh, was very thankful to uh, all the organizations. Rush came out. Um, we, we had community organizations like you can and um, my other alderman came out. Uh, uh, Nugent and her staff w- were here. Um, Rodriguez, no, not Albert Rodriguez, uh, 44, uh, uh, um, 40, uh, nope, nope, nope. Who, who was out there with me? Uh, well, no, regardless, what, what, what was the damage? How much the is da- the damage? How bad is it? So, How long will it take to come back? If, if, if you know, Fran, in 68, there was a riot in, in North Lawndale and, and, um, they tore up everything. You know, we, we used to have Roosevelt was littered with shops and businesses. Uh, I wasn't born then, but I, I hear stories and I see pictures of um, a bustling Roosevelt, a bustling Ogden, a bustling 16th Street. Um, and, and in 68, when the riots happened, everything was torn up. And we haven't gotten back to that that point yet. You know, there have been some incremental incremental gains. Um, you know, Roosevelt is a lot better than it was 10 years ago. However, it is nowhere near where it was and where the community wants it to be and where I, as a, as a servant of this community, want to see it. Uh, the, the violence that occurred over the weekend and the looting um, is, is very painful. Uh, the, the shopping mall, the, the largest shopping mall that we have, the, the only grocery store that we have, all the stores there where people shop for their children, for, for their wares for school and, and um, the auto, auto parts store, all of those things were torn up. Um, you know, luckily, uh, the grocery store is open again, and uh, they, but they're open at a, at a percentage and not what they were doing before. Boards are still up. Um, you know, I, I would like to say that um, it would come back, you know, as soon as they felt comfortable. But the reality is, I, I just don't know, Fran. Um, when you when you think about '68 and and we're still suffering now, you know, I'm hoping that those those losses won't be as long. But I, I just I don't know. I have businesses that um, were losing money because of COVID and things that are happening or, or that was happening and that are that still continues to happen that I, I just know won't come back. And and we did not have a, a, a large business base to start off with, um, which is very discouraging. Um, but we're going to continue to work hard. I, I, there's people who are still interested. Uh, and and if, if the plan that I have comes to fruition, then hopefully we will not be nearly as long as, as the 68 rise and rebuilding North Lawndale. What plan? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm working with, so we have a very large parcel of land um, that is on the far west end of the ward on Costner and Roosevelt, uh, probably the largest PD left on the west side of Chicago, um, you know, besides, you know, what happened with Emma and, and what's going on with the, the, uh, um, Roosevelt and Costner, the dump site, right? The dump the site, Michael, the, the old, the Michael the old Christopher. Civil, exactly. The old civil, civil shovel. 
Uh, and hopefully we can turn that into something that is amazing. I have several proposals that are on the table and we are working with the Department of Planning and the Development to make sure that we, we maximize the jobs and the opportunity for residents on the west side of Chicago, specifically in the North Lawndale area. What's the plan? There are several, and I promise you that once I, I feel comfortable that, that I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but there are several plans um, that are very viable plans. And and until I, I get the green light, I don't want to put anybody out there yet, but I promise you I'll come back and talk to you about it. You can't even give us a hint, huh? No, nah, I don't want to do that. All right, John Christopher, I was wrong about the first name. Some of your colleagues believe the situation was made infinitely worse, though, by the city's response that the mayor was kind of caught flat-footed by rioting in ma'am that she should have anticipated that she was late in canceling police days off, late in calling out the National Guard, late in imposing a curfew or raising the bridges and on and on, and that her decision to finally seal off downtown late forced the mayhem into the neighborhoods. How do you think she did? And do you think she added to it by not being prepared? Well, I, I will say this. Um, it, it, is, it is a very daunting task to sit in, in that chair. And, and it is really easy for people to sit back uh, and throw darts at what should have, could have, would have. Um, what, what I will say is, did, did I want to have more police in my community? Absolutely. Um, did we did we know that that by sealing off downtown and trying to protect that business district that um, every neighborhood in the city of Chicago, even as far north as I mean, as far south as Kerry Austin's ward, that that is not something that that is um, if you close off downtown, you're going to get people way on the far south side or you're going to get people um, way far southeast that that is something that I think is planned and was orchestrated um and I I, I didn't I, I don't think that we thought the police the the aldermen anyone that it would be as widespread and as orchestrated and and as it was and you know I'm not I'm not going to throw darts at of course we wish we could have done things differently everybody wish they could have done things differently um more police I wish uh, but I'm, I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. I'm going to worry about the rebuilding of our communities and working with this administration to make sure that that happens. Um, you got you to gotta realize that this administration has been thrown a bunch of stuff in their, their first <laughs> year. I mean, I do not remember anything in my lifetime with, with all of the, the um, hurdles and, and opposition that, that has happened. And could people have done a better job? Everybody could have done a better job. And so I'm not I'm not going to sit here and, and throw stones at a glass house. The death of George Floyd and the anger and frustration and demonstrations that have followed have fueled this movement to defund police departments. Now, that does not necessarily mean abolishing police. I don't think it does. It really right. can't be done. It's one of the city's charter responsibilities to, to preserve and protect. But it does mean... Uh, maybe reducing some of the police department's $1.8 billion annual budget and earmarking some of that money to pressing other social needs. What do you make of that? Can we do that in a city that saw upwards of 25 murders on that awful weekend just a few weeks ago? So, I, you know, I, I think we have to be very careful in, in how we approach that. Um, I, I think that if, if we forensically look at the, at the, at the police department 
budget and are able to allocate um, some resources to things that are desperately needed in our community. I'm, I'm all for that. Um, I am, I'm for social services within the community, especially a community like mine that, that continues to suffer and, and um, are, are grappling with a lot of issues that have presented themselves during this uh, demonstration for the death of George Floyd. Uh, however, I think we need to, we, we got it. We can't be cavalier and, and, and we can't just say, hey, we need to, to defund and we need to reduce the police force by, by this much or that much. I think it is, it is something that we need to carefully look at because in a community like mine, you know, although we suffer with, with a lot of these things, there are folks, I got a call yesterday, Fran, from the 3,500 block of um, West 13th place, West 13th place. And they, they want a cop to sit on their corner because they have people that do not live in, in their neighborhoods that, that come because there's a park across the street, sit in front of their house, drink, smoke, loud music until three, four in the morning, there are fights, there's cursing, there's violence, and, and they need those officers. Um, and, and I grapple with that all the time. My community is in, in desperate need of, of officers to make sure that, you know, I, I, many people in my community say that there aren't enough officers. Uh, and so, it's a very tight, very thin line that we walk in a, in a tightrope. I'd, I'd love to be able to engage in that conversation about where money can be allocated and if it can be allocated to communities that need it, uh, because mine is a community that need it. But we, we, again, have to be careful about the reduction in staff, especially with all the things that are going on in our communities and our murders are up. Uh, even when when people are should be in the house and, and being safe, we, we still have a spike. And so. I don't know what that answer is, but I'm, I'm willing to work towards it. What about something in between? For example, the $95 million police and fire training academy that Mayor Lightfoot wants to make bigger and better. Why can't the city maybe find a way to do that more cheaply, maybe using existing buildings, shuttered schools, for example, and then earmarking some of that money for social programs? So I'll, I'll, a couple, couple things about that. One, um, I, I think that correct me if I'm wrong, in 37, that is uh, Alderman Mitz's ward, uh, which will give a community like Austin a, a big shot in the arm with hundreds of officers and people moving around and creating a, a new business district, which is desperately needed. So I, I, I think that, that there will be a problem with folks in the Austin community and resources in, in the west side of Chicago is that that has moved. Secondly, you know, that is a, a one-time fix. Uh, we're going to need these programs for years and years and years to come. And so in, in order to take uh, the money from that, that police academy and move it away for a, a one, maybe two year fix, let's say it, it's 20 million or 30 million or whatever you move away from that, uh, that, is, that is a one-time fix. And you're going to need these monies uh, annually in order to, to, to make a difference in uh, policing in our communities or not say policing in public safety in our communities. Um, and and I, I don't know if that is the right call. What about removing police officers from the Chicago public schools? Again, a real sore point with some of the aldermen and some of the students even. It, it is. And uh, I think, again, we, we cannot apply um, cookie cutter so solutions to all of these problems. Uh, there are 
places in CPS that are very rough. And not only are students' uh, lives sometimes in jeopardy, but there are teachers' lives that are sometimes in jeopardy. Um, and not maybe not lives, but their, their physical well-being. Uh, and and I, I would not want to apply a cookie-cutter approach. There are some schools that may not need them. And we can look at removing officers from those schools. Uh, but at a Fraser Academy where I have parents call me and say, can we get another resource officer? Because sometimes our children don't feel comfortable walking to school. Um, and sometimes there are shots fired outside of the school where a resource officer needs to come out and make sure that the, the, the block is, is clear before there was a shot on a shot taken while kids were on the playground. And so in, in instances like those, there is a great need. And so I think, again, a cookie cutter approach is not something that we should look at, should look at it in totality. And if there are some, some ability to move some officers out of some places, then I am all for that. You're the education committee chairman. Uh, the mayor wants to open school in person in the fall, but you need to be creative and spread students out and maintain social distance. Have you thought about something like using McCormick Place, for example, for in-person school? It's a gigantic facility with several buildings, aren't being used, won't be until there's a treatment or vaccine for the coronavirus when conventions would be okay. Fran, you should, you should be a politician. That is a great or, or on a school that I think that is a great idea. Uh, the, the one problem that I, I, the only problem that I see with something like that, and I, I think maybe, a, a, you know, the Navy Pier also has a convention hall space that they may be able to use. Um, I, th I think the park districts may be an opportunity to, to use some park district space because there is a lot of them that are uh, close to schools. Libraries may be another option. And, and then you have those big facilities like, um, at big facilities like uh, McCormick Place. The, the problem, though, is the ratio of, of uh, teachers to, to students. And if the science di dictates that there can only be a certain amount of, of children, then you, you can't split a teacher in half and, and make a teacher be in two places at one time. And so I, I, I think um, what I think CPS is, is, is going to do and what I've been asking them to do is, is to have more regular dialogue with uh, not only students, but parents and teachers to, to talk about their concerns about reopening and making sure that, that we can put a comprehensive plan in place that, that suits the needs of maybe not every student in, in, in the district because the district is so large and, and, and there are going to be some potholes, um, but making sure as many students, parents, teachers, faculty feel comfortable about being in a situation where we're reopening. Um, I know for a fact that it, it, it is much better. I got three children and it is much better to have them sitting in class in front of teachers if the science dictates that, that that's going to happen. But we have to be careful. Uh, we don't want to spike. We don't want our, child, our children sick. We don't want our teachers sick. And, and we don't want the faculty that, that run that school to be sick as well. So there are a lot of options, and, and I, I know that CPS is, is working tirelessly to, to make sure that the best option is presented. But should McCormick Place be one of the options? And if so, why? I think, I think, I think, I think, everything, is on the I think everything is on the table. I, you know, I, I can't give you whether McCormick is the right place. Uh, I know that there is a lot of space that is underutilized, and it is something that, that may work. I don't know what the numbers look like, because once you open up McCormick, you got a lot of union issues and making sure that I, I don't know how that works. And I know that 
being in that trade atmosphere, you, you got to have money coming in to make sure that the folks that are there that are running the place that are uh, the laborers and the electricians and all that kind of stuff, they, they have to have money. And, and that's where the trade shows come in. So I don't know if that is the right option. I think that it is something that I think everything is on the table and I think it's something to look at. But it's sure a place that's big and, and it's, sure a place it's, big, it's it has beautiful. A lot of space. And- it is. It is. a. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Shameless, uh, but on Shameless, they they, they model um, McCormick Place as a university that people come in and they use it because of, because of its beauty. And, and uh, I, I don't think that that is a bad idea. I don't know if it is the right idea. So the mayor says that the pandemic has blown a $700 million hole in her precariously balanced 2020 budget. Her CFO (laughs) says the shortfall is next year is a billion dollars at least. Are you prepared to vote for a property tax increase at this most difficult time? And what are your ideas for filling that gap? Man, that that is um, that is a, a really tough, tough Appeal to swallow for uh, our working men and women in, in Chicago. Um, to, to, to have to, you know, there are so many people who have lost jobs and, and, and don't have employment and are suffering with um, rent, and, and which ultimately makes a, a property owner suffer with mortgage. Um, it is happening everywhere in the city of Chicago, and it, 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 it'll be really tough to go to the to the people of Chicago and ask them to to kick in more money. However, I, I don't I don't know where else revenue comes from. Um, you know, I, I'm working with with a, uh, an organization uh, to to possibly bring uh, before before we get gambling to to do something around a sweepstakes game, which is a a form of you, you know this this the, it's this the form of game that kind of happens at like the jewel osco when you, when you go in and you get something and you do a sweepstakes and um and mcdonald's i'm working with them to hopefully g- generate some revenue i don't know um kind of where the administration is on that and and i, I i'm not comfortable giving you projections but it is a lofty number to to kind of help i we'll see uh i know that there are other colleagues that are working on other things but i don't know where revenue comes up. I know you, we're probably going to hear again about the LaSalle street tax. We're going to hear about um, the, the the tax on companies that have over um, 50 people and, and putting a, a per person tax on them and bringing that back. Uh, I'm, there are going to be options about sweeping TIFs and, and, and making TIFs um, a part of that. At this point, Everything has to be on the table, Fran, uh, with a looming $700 million budget and a, a looming billion dollar budget next year to, to it is going to be hard um, always around. Everybody's going to have to tighten their belt. Everybody's going to have to do more. And, and whether that is the business community and residents, um, I can't give you the, the right answer. I wish I had a silver bullet, but it, it is not. And everything has to be on the table. Everything, including property taxes. It, it just has to be on the table. And on that depressing note, we will let you go. Michael <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy this glorious weekend in Chicago. Hope it's a peaceful one. Thank you, Fran. You as well. And we'll see you all next week. 